Sam, you played in a tournament yesterday, is that right? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to participate in the Cloudcap Games Root Tournament uh, uh, over these, uh, it was this last weekend and it will be next weekend as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's multiple, that's cool. Yeah, and it's not um, elimination or whatever, it's just like you're keeping track of who's winning the most games great event the scene is alive and well here in portland um i went one and one nice lost with the badgers one with the crows i'm determined to try to make badgers one of my factions and so every time i can play them i am and i haven't played them well yet but I- i'm figuring it out i'm figuring it out it's easy to play it's easy to play them poorly oh so easily yeah, I, th- I think we're pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this time I was able to avoid ever... I don't know if y'all have been playing Badgers where you're like, oh, okay, actually the face of the way station I need is on the backside of both of the ones I have down. <laughs> you know, um, I was able to avoid that trap this time. You have That's to step. be thinking ahead. And... D-camp versus in-camp is nuts. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's such an extra jigsaw puzzle to work out on your turn yeah, as you, you try have, and play for your next turn on your current turn <laughs> you have three puzzles okay you have surrounding clearings ruling matching clearings and having your way stations on the right side and doing all of that within the context of your current retinue <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and positioning yourself so that your next retinue will help you complete the first puzzle <laughs> yeah with the cards you have in hand to add to it yeah Uh, Assuming you don't need those cards to recruit to make sure you can do the things for the first two puzzles. (laughs) Yeah, uh, they're good. They're a fun faction. It does feel good when you're like, all right, I score these two relics, and that is nine points. Yeah, (laughs) that does feel good. The burst is real. They're they're a fun faction for sure. I want you to, yeah, I want you to have to climb the hill to do the reps to get, become a master of them. It's a shame they're not on uh, Root Digital because that's what I'd be doing. I'd just be like going games against the AI just to like get familiar. But it's always hard. It's like, do you all want to play Root with me and my turns are going to take twice as long? You know, <laughs> that's a hard pitch. Yeah, that will be the case until you get good with them, I think, Sam. Yeah. And then your instincts will like solve a lot of that for you. And then you can just focus on like what's the best, you know, path or whatever. Yeah. 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 What I'm capable of is still not completely like solidified yeah it's not second nature by any means yeah it'll get there but yeah great event cloudcap games does a great job and a lot of those people were talking to me about rootcon and i have been thinking about some uh possible changes to what the rootcon tournament looks like i'm not going to go into too many details but i think i've been hearing some feedback about the initial ideas and i've I think I've got a way to work out so that more people are going to be pleased. So more information on that soon. Nice. Uh, Kyle, you also don't have a, didn't have a tournament yesterday, but you have a tournament like today. Oh, I'm uh, yeah. I'm just by talking to you guys, putting myself in a position to prepare for this tournament, you know, like, yeah, we're going to kind of walk through the steps of kind of best practices in uh, getting in the right mindset for a tournament game, as well as, you know, things to be focused on during the very complex, um, you know, multifaceted kind of challenge Iron Man situation that is playing a game of Root. Because <laughs> it does feel like you have to swim, you know, a kilometer and then like bike around. Like, 
or maybe everyone is doing different events and you're trying to keep track that's of them true all. everyone is doing different events when and you're like, swimming i need you to swim into their bike lane because otherwise they're gonna race way far ahead you get to just release a live shark into the olympic swimming pool <laughs> that's the last dynasty <laughs> Well, I mean, you're obviously taking the best advice we have, which is prepping for a tournament, which is to record an episode of Woodland War Machine. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just to get socially warmed up, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the episode, we should probably get into some root news. Root news. That's right. Uh, well, the tournament continues apace. This is the winter tournament uh, from Garrick Samples Games over on Twitch.tv. Go check it out. Games are happening all the time. In fact, there's a game currently happening and also later. <laughs> oh really? I'm going to be watching this as we go here. You're going to watch it as we go? I'm going to watch it as we go. Does that blow your mind? There's not one on not right now. You liar, oh. Kyle. No, I'm I was kidding. Uh, let me try let me try that again. <laughs> By kidding, I just mean wrong. I was flat out wrong. <laughs> Oh, that's what we should do from now on. Yeah. When people like point that out, point out something you did wrong and rude, like, I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's good table talk. Oh, uh, that's amazing. All right. But we do have some games to recap from the last uh, week and a half or so. We got to cover the last three games of round two and then moving into the current round, which is round three, where the kind of streams are converging. The winner's bracket, the loser's bracket, everyone's coming back together. So at the end of round two, we had... The Losers Bracket Game 18, taking place on the mountain map. This was the Cats, the Moles, the... the This was the Cats, the Moles, the Woodland Alliance, and the Warlord. Mm. And mountain map tends to uh, favor the factions that can hold on to territory. Now, there were three militant factions in this game, but surprising everyone, the Woodland Alliance came out on top. So congrats to It's Rudimentary for their completely unlikely... Woodland Alliance victory. Now, you would think that the Woodland <laughs> Alliance would be great on Mountain Map because it's so uh -huh. interconnected. Uh, but it doesn't start that way. And it can be a little bit tough to get a foothold, especially if you have these militant factions that uh, can build up quickly and have enough kind of strength to suppress your sympathy tokens. But in this case, they were able to uh, profit off of a little bit of chaos and uh, profit off of the fact that cats needed to move in order to reconnect their clearings. And we're able to establish a bit of a position just right next to the last city with the base. Uh, so congrats to its rudimentary, really well played. Um, it's a tough matchup and that's a, that's a really great victory there. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Round two, losers bracket game 19 took place on the lake map. This one featured the Corvids, the Woodland Alliance, the Warlord, and the Eerie. This one had just like a very flashy finish and you know, if, if you're just kind of quickly reviewing the games, I actually really would recommend going and watching just the last round of this one mm -hmm. uh, because you get to see both some great table talk and kind of cooperative play to just sort of stop the leader. And you get to see just a totally amazing, eerie finish where they had uh, some fox cards in their battle column of the decree, meaning that they were required to battle in fox clearings. But they rolled too well. They eliminated oh. all the enemy pieces in fox clearings, <laughs> except they were able to pop a Corvid's raid token. Ooh. And that raid token ended up populating some of those fox clearings with oh, Corvid man. warriors, allowing them to continue to fulfill the decree with those fox battles and win the game outright. Wow. What an awesome finish. 
Galaxy Brain. Shout out to That's amazing. Harriet for that eerie victory. Well done. Nice job. Can you imagine being at the cor- at the Corvid headquarters and be like, okay, we're about to go raid. I'm like, no, don't. Like, we have to. <laughs> we're going. No, but, but you're going to give the... We have to. We can't. <laughs> it's a raid. <laughs> and here it is, the last game of round two. This is the winner's bracket, game seven, taking place on the winter map. We had the Eerie Dynasties, piloted by Walrus Law. Shouts to Walrus. Woo! The Badgers, piloted by Aquaman Boss. We had the Riverfolk and the Cats. In this game, there was a nail-biting finish. The Eerie got to 29 and turmoiled, and then got back to 29 after the turmoil. <laughs> what? Oh, no. Oh, what? Just... That's crazy. Oh, my God. Edge of the seat stuff, but it ended up transforming into a Badgers win, kind of out of nowhere. Um, I mean, the Badgers had a good position throughout the game, but they were able in that last round to kind of, like, you know, spike up and get the victory. So congrats to Aquaman, boss. For that winner's bracket victory on winter map. Nice. And here we go. We're off into round three. Game one of round three was on the lake map. And this one was a five-player game featuring the cats, the river folk, the corvids, the moles, and the eerie. And uh, yeah, that's three militant factions, the river folk, and the corvids. So there's a lot of warriors on the map in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was pretty interesting. I thought the river folk were in a pretty good position. As we've discussed, they were able to put themselves in more of like an insurgent type mm-hmm. of role. There's a lot of customers, right, with the cats and the moles and the eerie in the game. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they had a great kind of late mid game and popped up to 29 points, but got completely stuck there. Oh. They had an extra round and they did not get past 29 oh, points. No. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Man. That's tough two stuff. games in a row like that. That's crazy. Yeah, tough stuff. Uh, this one featured a pretty surprising Corvid's victory. Nice wow. job, Jamman, on a very crowded map coming through and winning with the Corvids. Wow. Good stuff. Wow. Round three, game two, took place on the winter map. This one was the Cats, the Eerie, the Woodland Alliance, and the Harrier Vagabond. Now, the Harrier Vagabond is considered probably the strongest Vagabond, I would say. I don't know. With Despot Infamy, is that still the case? Maybe Thief is... Right. Kind of up there fighting for that top slot as well. But I still think the Harrier is a strong contender for, you know, among the top Vagabonds, right? So this is probably, uh, you know, somebody glancing over the draft would see the Harrier in the mix and be like, okay, you know, that's probably viable. Uh, And it being the winter map, I would say that Cats and the Eerie probably have a good chance. Uh, But if the Vagabond is able to get online and check them, then who knows? Maybe it's a Vagabond Mm -hmm. victory. But the Woodland Alliance tends to really struggle in this map. That being said... This was a Woodland Alliance shutout. Uh, this this game, they just completely put the uh, put out the flames of the Alliance and kept them trapped. I think they got to like 15 points or something. It was a real table <laughs> effort to keep them suppressed. Um, everyone else was indeed pretty close. Uh, but in the last round, the Cats uh, started like a big march and attack cycle that ended up taking out a few roosts and winning them the game. Wow. So cats with a, uh, you know, a big militant finish there. So congrats to Douglas for that victory on the winter map. Yeah. Nice. It's good to see like a classic lineup there with the original factions. I guess Harrier's not original, but um, yeah, on the winter map too. Very cool. Yeah. Round three, game three, also taking place on the winter map. This one is another five-player game featuring the lizards, the otters, the vagabond, this time the ranger, 
the moles, and the badgers. Uh, and in this faction mix... I don't like this mix. It's, yeah, very kind of complicated and fighty. Yeah. Uh, and then everyone wants to keep to themselves, but then we mm-hmm. have to go punch each other. It was, it was intense. Um, in this one, the badgers had a really tough time um, with lizards and, like, the vagabond and, like, all this stuff in the game. A lot of, you know, friction uh, giving them a pretty tough time. It was, other than that, pretty close and balanced, but... In the end, there was a nice duchy victory, so congrats to Evelyn. Really nice. well played. Nice. Round three, game four took place on the lake map. This one had the Otters, the Corvids, the Woodland Alliance, and the Eerie. Uh, this one tilted more towards the Insurgent faction, so it pushed the Otters into that militant role. Uh, but in this case, the Otters cruised to a victory, so congrats to Root Manuvas with a very clutch final round puzzly victory. Uh, go check that one out. There was there was a nice kind of path to victory that took some imagination, uh, but Root Maneuvers took the time and found the way to do it. So big congrats there. That was a good game of table talk to a uh, friend of the pod, Nitro Rev, was the Corvids in that game. And uh, who else was in that? You said Otters. Oh yeah, Birds and Alliance. Uh, th- there was some there was some definitely uh, fun interactions in the early parts of that game. I definitely suggest you guys go check that out. Yeah, that was a uh, game four of round three. Nice stuff. Round three, game five, took place on the mountain map, and this one featured another five-player game with the cats, piloted by Thuey, the moles, the vagabond, uh, the adventurer class, the badgers, and the woodland alliance. So, the cats started this game by putting their keep just straight up in the pass with the lost city. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Pretty sweet. And with the vagabond in the game, that opened up another building slot for them in that clearing. Pretty nice. Pretty good spot to be. Um, but over the course of the game, the cats got whittled down to, I think, like, three clearings. Uh, two of them were connected, one was, like, way over on the other side of the map. So this one, it it was a good start, but it got pretty kind of choked off for the cats in a five-player game, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, the moles went double citadel to try and build up, beef up their warrior count. (laughs) Uh, There were so many meeples on this one. There was warriors everywhere. Eventually, I think in the end game, it was just piles. They like didn't, they just didn't even space them out. They're just like, throw all of them in a clump. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty intense. Um, The adventurer vagabonds did pretty decently, but it it was going to be a tough match because there were so many fighty kind of factions around. Um, The Badgers were cruising. The Woodland Alliance was doing pretty well. But in the end, the Moles had an 11-point swing turn at the end. Whoa. Uh, Actually, I think they got 12 points um, because they crafted the the hammer at the end Mm. for... Mm -hmm. Uh, at 29 points, crafted the hammer. So congrats to Glandor Hooverstein for that <laughs> duchy victory. <laughs> it always makes us chuckle. It's a good name. Great name. And the last game we're covering today is round three, game six on the winter map. Uh, this one actually featured a restart. It was supposed to take place the day before, but there were some internet issues. So uh, you'll see two videos uh, over on Garrick Samples Games channel. Go for the second one, the second game six. This one was on the winter map. And it featured the Lizards, the Eerie, the Woodland Alliance, and the Warlord. Uh, This one featured uh, the Warlord gaining control of about half of the map for a good portion of the game. Mm -hmm. And they just were able to get online and really, really start cruising. Uh, They kind of snowballed into a very competitive victory. So congrats to JC for that Warlord victory. Well played. Nice. Nice. And all those people are in the semifinals. That's right. We are playing so, for the semis now. Uh, so there's you know. only two more people 
that are still in the tournament after you play your game and there's one more. That's right. Oh. So it's really getting down to it. This winter uh, tournament is going to conclude probably in early summer. <laughs> That's funny. Um, (laughs) All right, folks, it's time to get into, speaking of competitive matches, it's time to talk about kind of uh, how you prepare for a competitive match or the things to keep in mind when uh, kind of playing these competitive matches. We've covered these kind of topics both in Table Talk episodes and with Walrus Law, but I do think that there's some things that we should keep in mind uh, that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah, especially going into, obviously, the Root Winner Tournament, but also Root Cons Tournament coming up. Yeah, and kind of talking about the differences between, uh, you know, there's like a tabletop simulator meta, and there's a tabletop simulator vibe, and there's a certain way those games go and expectations that you have, and there are a different set of those expectations for playing in a in-person tournament, or just like, if your friends are ultra-competitive, just an in-person game. Um, you know, it occurs to me, Sam, we probably also need to cover the whole digital realm, too, right? Because there there are different factors to that as well. That's very true. Yeah. We can we can brush on that a little bit just because there's not as much table talk in that, which is actually the thing we'll talk about is there's less of that. Yeah. So how to be efficient with it. Um, but I think this just in general, this this talk is about how to prepare for a competitive game, period. And then we'll just talk about all the context around what types of games you might be playing. Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, Jake, I want to know, how do you prepare for a competitive <laughs> match of Root? Well, because I feel the least experienced amongst usually, uh, obviously us, but also anybody I play against, <laughs> I tend to review the rules. I tend to go back and look over the the law of Root and the Root. I don't necessarily do the Root cards because I already know those, but I tend to be like, which factions am I rusty with? And I need to remember all their nuances. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... One time, I think I listened to one of our past episodes about, I want to say it was the Vagabond, because I don't think I've played the Vagabond since before pandemic. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not Maybe not that long, but it's been a long time. And uh, I know I need to get the rules in my head because I don't play this game regularly enough for them to just be embedded there. Yeah. I think one of the benefits of a lot of people that listen to this podcast, that, uh, that hang out in our Discord, that just play Root a lot... The reps make such a huge difference to your understanding of this game and your familiarity with moves and also just possibilities. Because without remembering those rules off the top of your head easily, possibilities are kind of much more limited, not only in your own options for what you can do on your turn, but what you can remember is possible for your opponents at the same time. So uh, I think reviewing rules and reviewing like what actually happens on a turn, making sure if you're not really super familiar with the, the Badgers, remembering that, oh yeah, end camp comes before D camp. And so that's important. That's important part of the puzzle to remember, for example. One element of this that I really um, appreciate as well is that for, especially for the winter tournament, the rules are enforced by the players, which means that y- you can't be 100% heads down during your game. So you do have to kind of be tuned in to what your opponents are doing and try and catch those those whoopsies that will inevitably happen during the course of a root game because it's, you know, we're, we're human beings and we make mistakes. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, reviewing the rules is great. Being familiar with the factions is great because even if you're not playing that faction, you do need to keep an eye on what people are doing, Uh, especially uh, when you're going into a tournament where the experience levels might be mixed, right? And we'll touch on this in a little bit, but like 
making sure that everyone takes legal moves. And I'm referring to the move, move, you know, <laughs> yeah. where you have to rule where you're going to and from. Very like, much matter, yeah. <laughs> just keeping an eye on that uh, because it is easy to forget. Where you're going to or from. Yeah. And I I think it, it can be especially confusing if uh, people are playing multiple games in a row, right? They were just playing the Corvid Conspiracy where they were not having to care about rule. They were just moving their warriors wherever. Yeah. And now they're playing cats. Okay, well, now you have to worry about ruling all these connected clearings to travel the wood. Like, you know, it's easy to just kind of play your turns fast. So it's important to know the rules to be able to, you know, keep the game as correct as possible. I want to caveat this advice also with the fact that, like, some of you are not as wildly experienced but still want to go play a competitive game. That's okay. You don't have to know every single faction like the back of your hand ahead of time. Don't feel like because we're saying this first that like you need to go have an encyclopedic familiarity with what's going on with all the other factions. If you've only played up until uh, the underground expansion or something like the underworld expansion or something like that, then it's, it's, it's okay. But do at least read through the other stuff and get a familiarity with what's going on over there. You might not catch all the whoopsies, but at least you'll you won't be completely puzzled by what's happening across the board. And it's yeah. just good for your kind of getting into the groove of a game, right? Getting into the rhythm of a game to understand the rhythm of each faction, you know, and how their turns progress. I remember um, when the Underworld expansion first came out, I was just like so confused by the duchy mm-hmm. because I was like, oh, then they're going to take all these minister actions and then they're going to sway and then they're going to craft at the end of that. It was just like... super bizarre to me and it didn't quite match up with some of the other factions and so uh it it did take kind of like reviewing how that faction operated what their kind of rhythm was during their turn so that i had a better read on what they were doing in the game you know if they had uh just a couple of recruits for their daylight action kind of stayed close to home during the minister actions and then had a big sway i was like oh okay i see what this rhythm is sort of leading us up to um Whereas if you're just going in totally cold, it can be tougher to read what each faction is kind of trying to do, like what their imperatives are, what they're setting up, um, you know, how, how it is that they're approaching the game. It can be tougher to, to figure out. All right. Also, another big thing to review is whatever your tournament's draft procedure is. Oh, so important. I'm assuming most tournaments at this point are doing ad set or some variation of ad set like we see in the winter tournament. Um, the And for a while, I didn't understand what the variance in the winter tournament ad set was because it's what I was more familiar with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're was, so used to seeing that than actually seeing real ad set in play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where I'm like, wait, you're choosing a map and a higher... We don't even know the factions yet. <laughs> you know, that's real ad set. But at the tournament, obviously, there's no hirelings. But... Uh, even with the map choice, you know which factions are in play. Yeah, so I, I think you approach a tournament game sometimes. You're like, okay, I'm ready to like play my game mm-hmm. and like ready to get on the board. And then you get to the game and it's like, oh, now we have to draft. And you're just like <laughs> totally not prepared for that. And it can be really scary. And you're just like being asked to make decisions with like not very much information. Yeah, and very important decisions too, and it'll <laughs> yeah. also it'll also change your relationship with people at the table immediately. Yeah, right. I yeah. feel like it's some it's got to be something like fifteen or twenty percent of the game. You know, it's a huge amount of time right at the start. It's like about twenty minutes usually. I'm talking about like in terms of importance of like your game, like a huge mm-hmm. amount is just decided 
right there. I mean, obviously you can do what you can, even if you're good with all the factions, but setting them up in the right clearing, like who's in the draft, which order, like it's a whole game. What kind of game is this about to be? Yeah. A fighting game with a lot of warriors on the map struggling for control over key clearings, or is this going to be like, you know, a pretty thin, like insurgent game where we're just trying to get to the other factions in order to stop them? Like what Mm -hmm. sort of game are you about to play? And like, what, what does the map tell you? Yeah, there's there's a lot of decisions that you are asked to make super early in the game. And this is, you know, not to, like, make it sound scary, but the reality is you can draft yourself into a pretty well losing position Yeah, in, in Root. It is not very forgiving if you draft poorly. Yeah, you can really shoot yourself in the foot. Obviously, anything can happen in a game of Root. There's so much checking that can go on that, like, the person who seems like they were never in it can come back to win. That can happen. But why would you chance it, okay? (laughs) Just, uh, you know, and we've got a couple things to keep in mind. Kyle, what are some losing positions you can draft yourself into? Okay, I'll start with a, a pretty straightforward example. So when you draft the Eerie Dynasties, you do have to choose your leader right away. Mm-hmm. That's, that is before you discard your cards uh, and in the order that you're drafting. So when you choose the Eerie Dynasties, you choose your leader, and then it gets passed to the next seat to choose their their faction. If you, for example, have a great hand for God of War Eerie, uh, and once again, that is if you choose the Charismatic Leader, uh, and you choose to put a bird card in build, and you kind of start to ramp up your... Uh, it's essentially like a no-turmoil strategy, where you, you know are recruiting a bunch, you're building a bunch, and you get out on the board and fight people. But the God of War strategy, uh, you are required to battle on your first turn. And so if you draft Eerie Dynasties uh, from like fourth seat, for example, and choose Charismatic, now everyone knows that you need to battle on your first turn. And they can set themselves up far away, meaning that you will either have to dump two cards into move, or if you don't have the right cards, you could just straight up turmoil on turn one. Either way, it kind of distorts your decree like kind of from the get-go and it makes it potentially quite difficult to get your engine up and running as the Eerie Dynasties, especially if that first uh card draw at the end of your first turn is poor yeah mm-hmm. even even just thinking about the Eerie Dynasties and drafting down from five cards you're like oh i'm gonna keep all the bird cards that's great if you have three bird cards isn't that great well, no, because you want to add two of those cards to the decree, and you can only you add one bird right. card. So then you're like, oh, no, am I choosing whether I'm recruiting or building? Or you obviously have to move, <laughs> you know, one of the... <laughs> and that's the thing with God of War. You have to put something into move. And you want to put something into build, right? You don't want to miss a turn of building. So, you know... I recently experienced this in a digital game that I got dropped from for uh, <laughs> being gone for three days where I actually had a bunch of bird cards in my hand and I had the same dilemma. And then I was like, well, I can't have four bird cards in my decree. (laughs) Man, I want to. Yeah. So that's an easy example of like one way in which if you draft kind of in isolation, you know, Oh God of war, it's so strong. It has a really good winning record. If you draft that for yourself in isolation, um, it can actually kind of work against you based on the rest of the faction mix. Another example is if you are drafting like fourth seat cats Mm -hmm. and you set yourself up, um, other players then can react to your setup in ways that make it really hard for you to expand. I mean, we don't see a lot of fourth seat cats drafts anyway, but that's just another example of like you can draft yourself into a really uphill battle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that one more of a losing position is more just like an uphill battle. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to be you're you know putting weights on your ankles and trying to run. Exactly, yeah. Um, an, an example that I have seen on Root Digital recently, since the release of the Underworld expansion, and now players are playing as Corvids more often, is if you choose the Corvids and you are third or fourth seat, uh, and your first plot is an extortion on, you know, multiple opponents. Well, now they get a full couple of turns to try and expose that plot. And, you know, I, I've had three or four games now in a row where, like, the Corvettes aren't going first. And they put a plot on my clearing. And I'll just <laughs> expose that extortion immediately. <laughs> I'm like, you don't get to be yeah. rude to me. I'm going to be mean back to you, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's maybe a situation where that could work. Again, we're talking in our, like, generally specific way. But for the most part, just know that players are going to be real suspicious of that first plot on their territory. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to just guess it away rather than losing a card. Yeah, and they have less cards to guess it away with. So, you know, you not doing exposure is also a, a self-hamstring a little bit. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> or not doing uh, extortion. I mean. Yeah, and just imagine playing Corvids without that initial plot on the board anymore. Then you're you're set back a turn. Then you're trying to put down an extortion somewhere else, and everyone already knows what you're trying to do. Like it's 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 rough. Maybe not dead lost, but it's an uphill battle, and you don't want to yeah. do that to yourself. Uh, one example that Sam you brought up earlier was if you are picking Warlord in a Vagabond game, or vice versa. Yeah, there is going to be a ruins race, and depending on how you're set up, uh, you can lose that race. Yeah, right. I mean, even just seeing both of them in the draft, you know, all of a sudden Warlord doesn't look as good because right. Vagabond has a turn to always get that ruin item if they want. It's a lesson you'll never forget when you learn it, because <laughs> I, I know I did, because I definitely was in that situation. I was the Warlord and it just hurt to see him go everywhere quicker. Yeah. Like not only that, the Vagabond, I think, was placed like pretty much on the other side of the ruins for me, like a different part yeah. of the map. And still they got over to my side and took it from underneath oh, me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really <sighs> rough. Um, and so uh, this does sort of, sort of depend on turn order. Um, mm -hmm. Whoever goes first is going to have the first mover's advantage. Um, but as the Warlord, I feel like it's tougher, right? As Vagabond, it's a little bit easier. So, yeah. I, I mean, in my experience, it seems like the Vagabond tends to win that race. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they're going first. Um, but it can... It can work for you as Warlord. Maybe some kind of jubilant opening where you're spreading those mob tokens. Yeah. Uh, if you get really lucky with the mob die, then, you know, there's a chance. Um, but just be mindful as the Warlord. <laughs> you are going to be in competition with another faction right from the get-go. Uh, and it's going to make your time tougher. Yeah. So if you're picking Warlord first in a draft that also has Vagabond, uh, that could be a, a setup to kind of hamstring yourself. Yeah, I, th I think it's just something to to be aware of more than anything. Like, is that the kind of game you're prepared to play? Like, basically, right. don't set up your whole thing being like, I'm definitely taking that ruin because it, everything can be taken away from you by the value. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the inverse of this, too, is if you have the pick ahead of the Warlord and you don't want them in the game compared to the other factions, then take the Vagabond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, a really good point. Yeah, you can kind of counter pick sort of counter the warlord in advance yeah on something like winter map that might be interesting to think about for all this advice we're about to give of the things that you could hamstring yourself into it's goes the opposite of like you could ham you could put someone else into that position or at least give them a tougher choice to not put themselves in that position right and this is why you'll see that cats and crows often make their way to the final player 
uh, in the draft, the first seat player, um, because those earlier picks just aren't as effective for those those factions, mm-hmm. uh, at least not normally. Now, the other thing you get to do in the draft is pick your hand, right? Or at least you get to draft five cards and discard two to give yourself a little bit of flexibility there. Um, and there's a little bit of gamesmanship that can happen with this kind of discarding cards business. You know, aside from trying to help out your own faction, right? If you're the Badgers, for example, you want to keep as many bird cards as you can. And if you're the Lizards, you want to keep as many suited cards as you can. And on and on. Um, But another thing that happens is more ambushes turn up in hands because everyone's drawing more cards to start the game. So they tend to, like, leave the deck and go into players' hands. So there's more ambushes out and about in the wild. Is it? Should we always keep them? Yes. Right? Great. I I think so, yeah. There's even, I mean, I'm a big fan of like, here's an ambush, I'm putting it in the decree. Like, I don't feel bad about it or like in the retinue or like whatever I'm doing with it. But it seems like, why would I put an ambush in the deck? You know? I can either remove one from the game and no one gets it or I could possibly give it, more than likely give it to one of my other players. You know? Well, the the thing maybe to think about too is that if you are returning cards to the deck, they are immediately back in circulation, right? Mm -hmm. They are potentially drawable by you or by your opponents, more likely. But by keeping them in your hand, you're basically keeping them in the pre-discard pile, right? (laughs) And so, for example, the Vagabond is in the game. I will often keep a T in my hand. Um, You know, if it's just a suited (sighs) card or whatever, I'll keep a T in my hand just so that I can discard it. And then it's not pickable by the Vagabond. It doesn't show up as that. Kyle had it the whole time. (laughs) Keeping it in hand jail or just you know, discarding it regularly. Yeah. Um, so think about what it is you are putting back into circulation off of that draft, right? If it's if it's something that's really going to help your opponent in a game, like for the uh, the Anvil card, right? For the Vagabond is a good mm-hmm. example. Or for the Warlord, even. Um, some of those item cards can be very effective. I love the Anvil card. I love knowing I'm like, oh, no, I can just keep this card in my hand, you know? Yeah. Unless there's like some kind of card-stealing faction or crafted improvement or something i do love knowing like oh i'm just banking these points and as long as i've got a fox crafter no one's going to take this away from me if the woodland alliance is in the game you keep propaganda bureau in your hand so that you can discard it or craft it yourself yeah and in that case actually then wouldn't it be interesting to keep a swap meet in your hand to craft right away knowing that players have such great early hands both of the games i played at cloud cap in that tournament i had an early swap meet and used it every turn it's only gotten better because of this draft yep. situation, especially early. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, there was uh, there was one, I think it was a round three. Yeah, it was a round three game two that featured the cats that had crafted swap meet. And I think they swap meeted uh, like an ambush card or something really important before their last turn where they all out attacked. And that like literally won them the game. Nice. Wow. So, swap yeah. meet. It's a good card. Is it swap meeted or swap met? <laughs> Let him sit with this. Swap Matt. Ooh. <laughs> he's a nice guy. Oh, he's a good old swap Matt. Uh, so, yeah, if you're hunting for good cards, make sure you just get out there and swap Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those are some good things to keep in mind, like, with the draft at large, right? Um, and it's good to review those things. Or, you know, I'm sure there are many other things to consider in the draft that we've missed here or that will become apparent as we play more and more competitive games. But- and if you want to check out some drafts for yourself, uh, we have a couple of episodes where we do drafts and have drafts. And yeah. it's great. Yeah. Great fun. <laughs> yeah. 
on the kind of more like like zen headspace side of things when we're preparing for a tournament we have some mental and physical you know like readiness we need right jake will you run us through some of the things that you do to keep your body in such great tight shape (laughs) hydrate baby (laughs) you guys all drinking water or is it just coffee right now english breakfast that's a tea for those of you who don't know (laughs) It's not just bangers and mash. Uh, <laughs> what are you drinking, Kyle? It's just a cardboard smoothie. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I am drinking coffee, but I also have water here. Uh, I don't know why I'm on a crusade for water. Um, it's California. That's all you can think about. Well, that's the thing. Uh, <laughs> it's precious. <laughs> There's wars over it over there. If you want to be in like good thinking shape, you you need to stay hydrated because your body runs on water. It's I don't know what percentage of your, your body is water. <laughs> We'd be so squishy if we were 98% water. Maybe it's 70. I think it's I think the world is 70. I always get planet Earth mixed up with our body. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> But the point is, is like dehydration can uh, fatigue you. And when you're fatigued, you're not thinking more clearly, right? I mean, 60%. 60% water. Okay, cool. So three fifths. Um, but you definitely want to have water nearby. And you can obviously drink energy drinks and coffee or whatever it is that you like to drink well, or whatever is like handy and flavorful that you love. Because there is liquid in that too. But if you have a ton of caffeine and other stuff, the there's a diminishing returns effect on how much actual hydration you're going to get. So yeah, be in, be in a good position to like not just be exhausted by doing something as simple as drinking water. Cause that's the treatment for dehydration. Like in all the medical textbooks, it's just drink water. It's doctor recommended. <laughs> yeah. That's all you do. Uh, I do think like uh, caffeine. I, I love some caffeine, especially before a root game. I will have an ultra caffeinated beverage but you have to know how to manage your nerves because if you get a little shaky and then, you know, you're not ready for ready for the big time kid, <laughs> you know, uh, it can be a little, I've gotten the jitters before in a game where it's like, Oh, I might win this game, you yeah. know, and my heart's racing and I have too much caffeine in my body. Yeah. There's already and, adrenaline. Yeah. And you need to make sure that you are crossing your T's and dotting your eyes at that time, because you can get a little nervous and might you misfire and just go too fast and make a bad decision. So. Well, the negative effects of this can compound on themselves because one of those bad decisions you can make is to keep sipping the energy drink because you're so nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, or, you know, your your throat's parched because you're thinking so much with your mouth open or something. But the point <laughs> is, is like if you keep drinking the energy drink, it's only going to get worse. So if you need that, try your best to nurse it. Like, mm. go slow because you're going to drink it anyway. <laughs> so, have an alternative. Have some water in your body. There you go. That's really what it is. Yeah, I drink everything before the game and then, yeah. Just hold it the whole time. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a funny example, but I, I just watched a, uh, an interview with chess player Magnus Carlsen, uh, who's, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. And when he was a kid, he would go to chess tournaments and he would have a giant bottle of, uh, I think it was like two-thirds water, one-third chocolate milk. Oh, I know. It was like this weird beverage, but that was like his thing where I don't know if it was like a like a somatic like trigger or something Mm -hmm. to like remind yourself that you're like in a chess game right now. Um, Or if this is like it's just the tiniest amount of caffeine and sugar, but not enough to make you crash or something. 
Um, yeah, it was this, this kind of odd mixture thing, but yeah, I thought it was kind of fascinating. But since you switched to just plain water, so <laughs> good. That probably looked disgusting too. Yeah, I've lost Dirt all respect for this chess champion. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, kind of fascinating. So his somatic response is any bad drink he has, he thinks he's in a chess game. I mean, Maybe so it's like you know, you're the greatest chess player in the world, but you're like among the worst, like taste makers in the world when it comes to beverages yeah i cannot recommend this to any other human i think yeah that's totally fair the next time one of us loses a bet they have to order chocolate milk water at a restaurant (laughs) not at a restaurant yes you have to tell a waiter or waitress legally can serve you that (laughs) hi there can i have um just like a third of a glass of chocolate milk can you fill the rest with ice cold water thank you (laughs) we're calling the police (laughs) oh no is there are there any like cues that you give your body before uh like a big match to kind of get you in the zone now i've yeah i've played enough tournament games at least on tabletop simulator where i always have my little notebook to the right i have this like rubber ball that i play with at my feet (laughs) so that like my nerves are just kind of working themselves out with that and usually i'm like in this room and it's really dark (laughs) like just the screen illuminating uh the room uh so there's like a couple cues that i give my body also i will sometimes have a recreational beverage or something off to the side and that is for when my game is officially over (laughs) yes got it yeah yeah that's that's important yeah when it's like oh i've gotten to 28 and i'm completely shut out of the game and someone's definitely just gonna craft the last bag and win the game that. I grab that big slice of chocolate cake. Yeah, and I start exactly. Away. Yeah, and uh, that's my reward for you know, and it's also like kind of nice for me because I'm like, well, it's still not that time yet. I still have a chance. You know, that's interesting. That's actually really interesting. Like, Do you as find long as like, that cake is there, I'm good. You is know? that like energizing for you or like clarifying in some way? You're like, well, it can't be over, so it has to continue. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's just hope, you know, like I still have hope yeah. in this game. Like it's I'm not throwing in the towel yet, but as soon as I do, I have a reward. So it kind of cushions the blow of I am losing this game in front of everybody. You know? That is very interesting. Yeah, I like that's that. very cool. Yeah, uh, because you bring up a good point, which is in the late game, there is a kind of consistent phenomenon that has been observed about Root, which is. Uh, has been termed late game fuzzy brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this afflicts players of all skill levels. Yeah. And it's yes. just a factor of literal time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like after a certain amount of time of concentrating super intensely on something, your brain starts to mix it up a little bit and you, you get a little bit like uncertain or uh, thing, things become less clear and a little bit out of focus. And it's super easy to skip steps or to rush or to miss a point that you scored or, you know, whatever. There's, there's like a lot of steps in a root game. So what are some ways that we can combat late game fuzzy brain in terms of like mental and physical readiness? Well, it's tough because what your brain really needs is to take a break. <laughs> I want to reemphasize like what Kyle said about this happens at all skill levels because we're all human in this aspect. And like your brain can only like really dedicate itself to one task super efficiently for only so long. Um, especially in a creative 
realm and this and this is a creative game because it requires you to you're not writing a short story but you're definitely trying to figure out a lot of uh, ideas and possibilities many of which won't necessarily come true you have to you have to disregard them because somebody made a different move than you expected so you're always thinking about possibilities well that's a taxing thing to put on your brain um and you're not usually allowed to take breaks actually real quick kyle can you take are, are there breaks in chess tournaments are there time breaks once the clock starts it does not uh get paused unless there's like a rules question or whatever Whoa. But it just it just runs for the whole length of the game how often is a rules question asked in competitive chess? I mean, it's mainly more for like if someone makes a mistake. Got it. If they move a piece and their king is in check or whatever, then you can Got like it. pause the clock and raise your hand and then a tournament director will come over and fix it. Deduct two minutes or blah, blah, blah. I have to pause. What does the bishop do again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, man. if I move my bishop onto a rabbit square, <laughs> do I have to pay outrage? Sorry, Kyle. I kind of got on a, a tangent. What was your question? What do we do? Yeah, just like yeah. What, what are some strategies physically and mentally to kind of combat late game fuzzy brain? I mean, I definitely stand up and stretch. I think you got to like actually put your body in a different situation. No matter where you're playing this game, you're sitting. Unless you found a standing root game, which good for you. Uh, like sitting down for a long time can also just put the blood flow in a, a low circulation. So get up, stand up. Throw your hands up. Stand up for your rights. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Well, and you could also have a standing desk if you're playing on tabletop. Oh, that's true. Good call. Uh, I always have a little notebook uh, because it's too much to hold in my head, and yeah. so I start writing out what my turn is going to be. I just have a little notation system where I'm doing my best, like uh, three molds, and it's great now that the winter tournament has the clearings numbered because I'm like yes. three molds move from three to eleven or whatever. Um, and so I'm like writing those things down so that I can start to really visualize what those possibilities are going to be. And most of the time I go, all right, that's not going to work. But at least I've kind of like thought through it. And I couldn't, I think if I was doing that on my turn or I was starting these moves and then having to retract that kind of like social pressure of like doing it and making sure you're resetting correctly you don't want to get too messy on your turn because then that's you start to worry about that. And so I'm just trying to focus on like what are my possibilities. And for me, what helps is just to have a little notebook. Yeah, something to like focus your mental kind of effort as opposed to spinning off in lots of different directions. One thing that we haven't really talked about on this pod that I think is actually a huge factor during tournament games is emotions. Right. Mm. Playing a tournament game of root where there are stakes, where there is, you know, something to be won and lost. Your maybe your tournament life is on the line. It comes with the stress of having emotions during the game, which can, you know, as we all know, emotions can lead to kind of clouded strategic judgment somewhat. Um, but they can also be like mentally quite exhausting. <laughs> And especially um, if, you know, if you feel you've made a mistake on your turn. Um, the kind of, you know, going back and critiquing your mistake can be a little bit of a rabbit hole that just like totally sucks out all the energy. Um, so one of the, one of the things that I like to focus on during a, a tournament game of root where there's like stakes and all that is just to really try and say like, what is done is done. We're looking forward, right? Yeah. We're seeing what is happening now because in, in root, anything can happen. And what you what is required of you is to be very present 
and to seize the opportunities when they show up. And sometimes making a mistake can actually put you in a better position, especially if that mistake happens early enough to where you've got time to recover. Uh, well, the players might not see you as much of a threat and yeah. you get left alone to rebuild. And that can put you in a really strong position. So it's super important to not get um, stuck in a previous round, but instead to kind of keep looking forward, to keep staying present and watching for those moments of opportunity. That could be a table talk moment of opportunity to spotlight someone else's game. That could be a, a literal like play opportunity where someone's left undefended cardboard and has not thought at all about your faction. So it's, it's really important to kind of like let, let it go and kind of stay with the game that is happening. It's hard for me to speak to this because I do feel like I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty level-headed. Like, I'm not getting too bent out of shape even if I'm losing. I think, like, the thing that for me would be, like, if I'm, like, trying to point out, like, oh, this person's, like, a threat or something, and then they're, like, they kind of, like, dismiss it way too much, you know? I'm like, you have to stop. Hold on. You have to let us play the game of, like, we are Mm -hmm. going to try to stop you. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't talk yourself out of the fact that you're eight points ahead of everybody. Like <laughs> we're not listening. Like uh, that's the only time I have. Do you get frustrated? Frustrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I was just gonna say slightly. I think you are a level-headed person. I think you yeah. two both in particular are. Yeah. When I see you get non-level-headed, it is generally at each other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that example makes a lot of sense. Is if you're like being almost kind of disrespected by someone just saying that your point isn't valid. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And I, that's happened very rarely, uh, to me and and it happens in any game, not just root or whatever. Um, but I just have the most experience with root, but yeah, I, and in those situations, I, you know, you know, you just take a deep breath and, you know, you remind yourself you're playing a game and especially (laughs) sometimes like I'm playing a board game on a computer about, mice fighting birds you know you're like just take a breath and zoom out there's also a little bit of table currency there because if the other two players know what you're talking about then they might regard that that other person that you're talking about with a little bit uh you know less currency on there they might not trust them as as much because they're there's not an honest take about how well they're doing right so you have to kind of leverage what you can out of that i'd suppose Is this also, this emotional talk also probably goes to nervousness that we've probably haven't covered, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Nervousness is big when you're playing in a competitive game because there's there's some stakes to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's very common to have a little bit of the, the pre-caffeine jitters of, of a situation. Uh, is there anything you guys do to combat that? No, I actively put more caffeine in my body. But <laughs> I think that really, at the end of the day, everyone shows up and just doesn't want to play bad. I think yeah they don't want to embarrass themselves that's what they're most worried about it's like oh I think less on the like oh the stakes like I need to win the tournament I think that people are smart enough to know that like even if you're the best root player in the world I don't even know how you evaluate that like you have to get lucky to win however many games in a row it requires to win the tournament yeah big luck factor for sure yeah yeah and and that's fun I think it makes it fun to watch it's fun to talk about it's fun to play and you got to know what your flavor of nervousness looks like yeah there's a little bit of like know yourself that Mm -hmm. is going to be helpful uh like are you the kind of person who when you get nervous you totally clam up and don't say anything Mm. like that is going to be kind of a hindrance in a game of root right sometimes it's useful to be able to like give your two cents and like kind of you know spotlight someone else's game but if you totally clam up because you're nervous then that that can be a missed opportunity a little bit 
or on the other side of the coin, you might be the kind of person who, when you get nervous, you just can't stop talking. Right? Yeah. I feel like I kind of fall into that category a little bit. Um, and so it's, it's important to remember that, you know, sometimes you got to wait for somebody else to reveal something that you can spotlight and not try and like railroad the conversation. You don't want to be the boy who cried wolf, right? If you are trying to spotlight somebody trying to do your thing, you need to know what position you are in the game, right? If you are two points behind the person you're trying to spotlight and your turn is next, like people shouldn't buy it because you're just trying to get them to do your job, right? If you're in second place, your job is to take out first place. But if you are behind and you use your spotlights, you know, effectively, you can, your word will have more weight and thus you might be able to shape the game a little bit more. Very true. Yeah, um, be- because I tend to be on the chattier side. I don't strategy... know if that's true, Kyle. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I would on the spectrum. I'd put you more on the quiet end. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say you're like a quiet player either, but I, I think that you're a firm talker. That's what I think. Like you're like this is the case. Like I'm not budging from this. You know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of like persuading you necessarily yeah i tend to be pretty convinced of my own <laughs> accuracy yeah, yeah. and things <laughs> yeah yeah and i think you're right most of the time so I be, I, maybe that's a flaw though like i could be yeah. more receptive it could be. could be i think you're a receptive person but you wisely aren't as receptive in root because you know it too well so you can't be talked <laughs> out of the right move i yeah. think i just don't like to be manipulated all yes right? yeah yeah there yeah, it is for sure for sure I'm not a pawn in your game. I'm a pawn in my own game. Oh, I love being a pawn. I'm like, you think I'm a pawn in your game, but secretly I'm going to get to the other end and become a queen. (laughs) Oh, baby. (laughs) You know, Sam, I was thinking about what you said about like, if you're in the second position and you're spotlighting the person in first, they shouldn't buy it. Well, that's what good table talk counters is. If you can get them to buy it, then good job. So it's not that you shouldn't necessarily go for it, but I do love your role about, or your part about knowing your role and what position you're talking from. And that'll give you more credit. Yeah. I mean, if you're second place as lizards, you might not be able to do anything about it. Sure. And you might need to spotlight them, but like you just, yeah, you have to understand what your position is at the table and thus how much weight your words are going to have. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't just say things because, like, I hope somebody buys this. Because the more you do that, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. When you actually have a good point and need people to be convinced of something, your word has a little less value. The lizard who cried bear. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was this question about? Uh, well, we kind of, yeah, we're kind of wandering. Uh, we'll talk about nervousness and really our emotions. And I mean, we've kind of really nervousness and stress are cousins i think yeah they're they're pretty much the same state in a lot of ways and so i'm really glad that kyle brought up like knowing your own reaction to this because i think a lot of people as mature as we may feel we are don't know their own responses or like don't recognize themselves when they're that way good opportunity if you were in the winter tournament is to go watch back your game and see how you acted when you're (laughs) most nervous right or i mean in that situation yeah. Uh, so knowing, yeah, knowing how you respond emotionally, I think uh, Kyle gave two good examples of like the the spectrum of talkativeness, but it's also like what emotions you are going to exude when you're stressed. Are you gonna? Are you much more temperamental, or are you uh, maybe more defensive? Like mm-hmm. all of these things are going to play into not only your table talk but also your mindset when you are trying to be creative. Yeah. Do you become a grouchy, unmovable stone when you're under pressure? or <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to be a grouchy, unmovable stone when you're trying to come up with a good idea? Probably not. You want to be a little bit more right. open. And 
Um, I think one way to combat nervousness and like this stress too is to also remember like before the game starts when you're meeting the other players is that these are other players. They're here too to have a fun game with you. So talk to them, be friendly, put a smile on their faces and like get your get everybody's shoulders to just drop a little bit instead of being yeah. so tense. And that'll that'll put you in a psychologically tricked mindset of just being a little bit more relaxed. Absolutely. And it's a good place to start too cuz if you start stressed it's really hard to like calm down during a game, yeah. you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. So it's really important True. to like have that clarity, have that like shoulders drop, take a big breath just before the start of the game cuz you know, it's it's going to get stressful. It's a game that uh, you know, you're going there's going to be moments where you're uh, experiencing a challenging board state and trying to deal with all, a lot of factors. So having the best start possible can maybe keep that um, that arc, that escalation from getting too intense too quickly. Uh, one of the things I want to touch on, when you're going into a tournament game, you're meeting these people, you have no idea how experienced they are with this game or what their familiarity with the factions and the flop are, Right. And there is, and that can be a huge factor in how the game plays out. Honestly, this clear meta, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you see somebody make a move and you think like, oh, that's not what they said on the podcast or like, <laughs> you know, that's, you, you don't open with that leader, yes, yes. you know, but that can be a little bit of a trap because even though you think you might be playing quote unquote the correct way or at the highest level you know uh you have to get through the game you're in yes yeah and that means playing with the players at the table and so i think it is in, in those situations i that this is a really difficult situation to find yourself in where you might have to try to spotlight other players and and how to take them down while also not seeming like, oh, I'm the guy who knows this game and I'm bossing everybody around. Yeah, you know? d- resist the temptation if you see suboptimal play, especially from like maybe the faction you want to police, <laughs> like, <laughs> or you want policing for you is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, they're not gonna be powerful enough to police for me if they keep playing this way. Right. Well, that, yeah, instead of bossing them around, you can, you can try and offer them some advice to try and get into a policing position, but it's probably more to your benefit to keep some of that close to the vest and just know that fact and then you'll have to play the table talk in a different position from that right it's like now now the insurgents that are gonna keep moving i have to highlight them quicker because there won't be a police to counter them later in the same way uh one of the phrases i like using is like all right so what are we feeling lizards Mm. you know or like what how we you know just like offering a player like take a second Look at the board. What seems like it's a problem? Like, what do you want to do on your turn? You know, I'm just, I'm not even saying you should do anything other than just like maybe take a second yeah. to think about how we're all interacting in this game instead yeah, that, of like. That tone has no subtext whatsoever either. <laughs> oh, how you feeling? But I think. And to be clear, this some... is at like the start of your turn, right? This is before you've like taken any actions or like done anything. Like the possibilities. Uh, he's are, saying are on open. their turn, right? On their turn, yeah. yeah. Oh, on their turn. Oh, okay. Yeah, like okay. just kind of like guiding the game along, moving it along is one of the things I'm trying to do, and also like giving them the opportunity to take in the thing. Just because, especially if players might not be super familiar with what's going on, they right. might be a little heads down. They might right. be a little focused on like I want to score as many points as possible because it's a race to thirty points. Yeah. 
Whereas like you might need to be like, well, if no one does anything about this faction, they are the one who's going to win the race. And so, you know, just finding those phrases, how are we feeling? Like, (laughs) or just, you know, it's always the joke as soon as somebody's score marker goes into first place, it's like, well, yes, we're going to have to do something about, you know, like. Every time their score marker moves, it's just, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just a couple of those. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Ooh, good move. I love pointing out. Really strong move. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) The poisoned compliments. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or just the slow clap wow i i was playing congratulations a a tournament game with um uh in at cloud cap and a player was playing the birds and they had went charismatic and they put a bunch of cards in recruit and so i would i would just be like how many birds you have left in the supply you know i just ask them and they'd go shut up (laughs) 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 and i was like yeah yeah i was curious but also they were just like don't look at that stop (laughs) like (laughs) that's so funny don't reveal my glowing red (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) i think that's it for like mixed experience right or do we have anything else to say about that it's a difficult situation you know and i think if you're playing a competitive game you should try to be as familiar with the game as possible but Root's a complicated one, and not everyone has time to listen to 67, 68 episodes of Woodland War Machine, okay? Not everyone has the time to watch all 70,000 tournament games, yeah, okay? You, you have to resist being a know-it-all, also just for the sake of the table. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't want to come into it with just pointing out everything everybody should do. No. Yeah, and we've taken a pretty strong stance, I think, on this pod against, like... Um, overly kind of coaching somebody through their turn oh yeah and through all their moves like i i tend to frown pretty strongly on on stuff like that because it just doesn't feel good at the table so resist the urge to do that you know it just kind of remember even if somebody is new like it's still their game that they're playing and like to kind of respect that yeah honestly if if you do get the sense that somebody's not very familiar with the rules like you're probably going to be able to catch them on a rules mistake you know what I mean? Like they they think they're going to move or they're going to craft with the non-outcast suit. And you just have to be on your toes. It's an extra job a little bit to make yeah. sure the game is playing correctly. Um, but don't let that throw your own game as well. So that's right. a little that's right. another tricky thing about the mixed experience situation. Yeah, because you don't want to be the person wearing the hat of like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. Because that kind of sucks to, to it do. Does. And it kind of distorts the table like yeah. relationships a bit i'm as well. spending my table cred just to make sure we're playing correctly that doesn't right. feel good yeah yeah um but that you know sometimes you have to it's it's important if you're especially with players enforcing their own rules this is this is a part of it yeah and it's you know it takes a little practice to be able to do that kind of gracefully and just yes. sort of matter-of-factly i think yeah. it's really more about just being matter-of-fact like there's no emotional yeah. kind of content there it's just like oh um tried to make that move but you didn't rule the clearing you wanted to move to yeah it's just matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, and then when they inevitably say, no, I crafted Corvid planners, you're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, apologize quickly. Oh, it happens to me every time. I'm like, you can't do that. They're like, boat builders. I'm like, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, we highlight these tournament games, and we talk about these big moves, right. you know? Um, but kind of this is a little bit of like history is written by the winners a little bit yeah. i think that some big moves in root are cool because they worked to win the game yeah 
Um, sometimes a move is just cool, like they save themselves from a bad position or whatever, but there is a lot of situations where it's like, we see one move in a game that's perceived as a really strong, like aggressive move, but in another game might be a move that's perceived as too aggressive and thus causes heat and like people police that faction and then they get into some kind of forever war situation, right? So there's like, there's just something about these tournament games where it's like these, basically when you're in the game and you see a move that might seem like, what? That is not a move I'd ever expect to see. Sometimes that will pan out and they'll look like a genius for it. Other times they might be punished for making such a risky move. And that's just the nature of the game. Like there aren't quote unquote, like great moves. There are things that work consistently. We've kind of talked, uh, I was talking to Garrick about uh, God of War, uh, Eerie, and how, why God of War is everyone's preferred way is because it's flexible. Yeah. Um, you're getting a lot of warriors. You're just playing a pretty standard birds game. You know, the only ability you have is that you recruit more. You're just making more use of your recruit cards, essentially. It's just a pretty standard game. Uh, whereas Despot is a, ironically, you know, you would think that's the stable one because they have the bird and build, but the variance is just higher. Like the Despot ability of getting an extra point when you remove any amount of cardboard in a battle is very good. It's a very good ability that you can rack up four or five extra points throughout the game and that's like a whole turn of scoring roosts especially yeah. for the yeah for the birds especially that's a lot yeah it yeah. is huge and you're also building from turn one anyway so your engine is kind of scaling properly yeah. kind of no matter what yeah but then it's like okay well then you have to have the bird cards for recruit and yeah. then are you battling because that's actually how you get points with the despot right so if your card draw is not there it's just less consistent but it right. could it could be better and it could be worse. So that's in a tournament game. Uh, a lot of the times you're trying to play as conservatively as possible, trying to stay in the pack, you know, stay flexible. And that's why God of War is such a a big thing. So suffice it to say, these like <laughs> big moves and like risk versus like being conservative in plays, you can't evaluate those things in the moment too much. You can't say that this is a good move, this is a bad move. It's just the move that influences the game. And how you react to it will kind of dictate its success or failure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, this is just a, another very compelling argument for being in your game as presently as possible. Because the context is subtly different every time, based on the faction mix, et cetera, et cetera. Be in your game, know what is gonna draw heat, Think about the other players at the table. This is something that, you know, it. if you're playing with new people that you haven't played with before, the meta starts now, right? And you're kind of trying to read your opponents, like, how, what are they prioritizing? What are they drawn to? And just kind of take all of that into consideration, kind of blend it together as you're forming your, um, your strategy. And know that most root games, you can't win without taking some risks, yeah, yeah, right. That's a really Players good point. Yeah. Aren't just going to let you cruise to victory yeah. without resistance. That's never going to happen. But if you are just like overly kind of safe, then somebody else is going to race ahead and win. So there are times to take risks, and kind of uh, picking your time to take a risk is one of the 
the great unknowns of Rue. And one yeah. thing that I always look for and enjoy in watching a Rue game, I'm like, when is a player really going to like take a swing or kind of potentially overextend here? But it might work, you know? So think think about taking risks, uh, but cautiously. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the end game of these tournament games, right? Like, what is going on here? Uh, uh, Jake, what's going on with the end game? <laughs> Well, you mean, I mean, the, the thing first off is recognizing the end game. That's a big yeah. thing of Root is like yeah. the mid game is very rapidly the end game. Like you yes. don't always yeah. see it coming. Um, so really treat, I don't know, treat the end, treat the mid game like it's about to be the, the end game. So like mm-hmm. always just be discussing who's potentially winning. Yeah, there's the early game. There's the pre-end game, and there's the end game. <laughs> Be ready to discuss it before it's too late, because there's so many options where it's too late in this. Now, we've, we recently gave a bunch of examples where people got stuck at 29 for multiple turns. Those are pretty rare, and those are in <laughs> games where a lot of those players know what to do to fully stop momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to, as you know, in a lot of these tournaments, you're going to be in a, a variety of experience levels. So you have to you have to be ready to make... Not necessarily big plays, because that's all a tempo thing, uh, depending on both your game and your style and the timing. But you have to be ready to uh, make big decisions or convince others to make big decisions quicker than they might be ready to. The hard thing about kind of mentally getting into the end game is you have to make this switch flip in your mind between abstract kind of positional um, considerations. You know, oh, the... Lord of the Hundreds has a nice looking horde of items, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the lizards have two clearings where they have two gardens of the suit, so they're able to score now. There's a difference between like those kind of positional, like, oh, they're online kind of considerations and going concrete. They can score this many points. They have this many warriors mm-hmm. to hit this clearing. Mm. You know, they have this many moves to kind of get across the map. And you know, Root is a game that gets very concrete in the end game. Yes. Right? Yeah. There are this many items left to craft. You yeah. know, this many yeah. points are up for grabs. And so it's making that kind of switch into the concreteness that I think is, to me, what really signals like, oh, we are in an end game right now. Yeah. Um, so in, in order to make the most of that switch, like, y- you need to use your own kind of imagination, your own notebook to count. Um very you know try and be as deliberate as you can while not like soaking up everyone's time but like you know count the points Mm -hmm. how many you know how many flips do the crows have just like (laughs) write it down how many moves do do the eerie have can they reach your clearing right what's the the battle situation looking like how many cards are in their hand and what is craftable like looking at their crafting pieces or can they place more crafting pieces just knowing what theoretically could be possible and Root is such a complex game with so much going on that it can be really tempting to, like, if you start using your imagination to see what a player is capable of, to run into, like, four or five forks in the road immediately. Like, they could do this or this, yeah. and then just give up because it's too overwhelming. Uh, that is totally reasonable and fair. And that happens. <laughs> That's totally fine. But what I will say is um, it's useful to at least kind of, like, sketch it out. Yes. You're like, okay, well, if I was this player and you know, I wanted to win on my turn, like, what would I do? I'd probably go here. There's, like, some free cardboard around there, like, and that's a good way to know how to kind of block somebody from winning in the end game, right? Using those concrete considerations. I love this advice because 
you're telling them not, you know, there's too much information. It's easy to just give up on thinking about it. Right. Yeah. But the real benefit, a really good skill to have, I think just in life is to be comfortable with uncertainty. And if you can like operate within a realm of uncertainty, then you're going to be okay because you can sketching it out is great and sketching out all those possibilities, but you can't devote all your brain power to going down every single road. You have to yeah. just be like, all right, we're going to get to the crossroad shortly. Here's some of the big paths we can take. And right. being okay with that and not stressing out about it is so important to have. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other kind of like way, the other end of the spectrum that you could fall off of as you're trying to kind of imagine things is to catastrophize. And this <laughs> happens to me sometimes in the end game as well, where I'm just like, oh, there's no way to stop them. I guess I'll just score as many points as I can. Or like, it's just easy to get kind of tunnel vision around one faction's, you know, possible ability to win. Like, oh, if they have this card and this card, then it's just over. So like that, you know, like what am I even going to do? Um, and it's it's useful to kind of resist that at least a little bit and to kind of give everyone a fair shake, right? Oh, if I'm really like, overly concerned about this one player for the whole time, I might miss the fact that somebody else has a good setup yes. to win as well. Yeah. And I won't do anything to prevent that and thus kind of give the game away that way. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of resist um, giving up and then resist kind of overly catastrophizing and tunnel vision, which is tough. That's not, that's not easy. That just kind of comes with experience and with the reps. Uh, but that's a really good thing to, remind myself of during a tournament game especially in that like late game fuzzy brain situation just like don't give up use the notebook take a fresh look if i was them what would i do to to win kind of at, in a, at a glance right in a sketch i feel like just between the three of us and also with like the friends that we've interviewed about various games there have been more than a handful of examples where people are like i had no idea how i got there yeah i thought yeah. i was done you know yeah yeah and the comebacks are the best story. So <laughs> instead of cat, would you say catastrophize? Would you say yeah, catastrophize? Catastrophize. Yeah. Instead of catastrophizing, just get ready for your underdog story. That's yeah. right. Yeah, set yourself up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sam, I feel like you're good at this. You can you can kind of table talk your way back into a game. Oh yeah, yeah. I I yeah. That's why the cake's there, folks, because it's not over yet. Okay. Sam's uh, never out. I think whenever Sam gets quiet because he says he's out, I'm like, Dude, he's working on something. I am working on something. Yeah, yeah, generally you are. Yeah, I yeah. I it's been a long time since I've been like completely out of a game of root. Yeah, um, because that's that's what I know. I know that you just got to hold in the pack because anything can happen. Um, sometimes I play a little too uh, heads down. I think and let you know I because I don't want to be the one policing. I think maybe it's just my lizard instincts uh that uh and and i give the game away that way but yeah i i think it's you just gotta gotta have hope you're not out yet you know yeah and you know i'm sure we could point to a couple examples where it's like yeah this faction cannot win <laughs> but you know that's what the cake's for just to kind of tie it back to our earlier discussion um one thing that you can get nervous about is your winning turn yeah right if it's the your turn and you think you've got it this is the time where the mistakes will really matter the most. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there's been multiple games in the winter tournament where players have biffed it on their winning turn and kind of like lost the game. And, you know, it they didn't get to 30, they got to 28 or whatever. Yeah, I've been This on is both the sides time to know to not rush. Don't rush. Make sure you take every step just one at a time. Narrate your turn. 
in too much detail. It's okay <laughs> to yeah. go a little bit slow if it's your if it's the turn where you think you're going to win. I can say this from experience because I kind of biffed my last turn in the game that I ended up winning, but totally by accident. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't oh, take my yeah. time. I missed that there had been a move on the previous player's turn that took away my clearing to build. And uh, it was just by the soul of the dice, the heart of the cards, that I kind of got away with it. But really, it, it didn't have to be that way. I could have just taken my time and it would have been fine. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, don't rush. Don't rush during your endgame turns. Know that endgame fuzzy brain is a factor. Remind yourself that it is impacting your game. Even if you're pretty certain it's not, just like remember, gently remind yourself to take your time. <laughs> yeah. When you're shooting your shot to win, don't rush. Yeah. But, you know... Keep up the pace also, I will say, on don't, your other don't turns. Don't get paralyzed. Yeah. You know, it's easy to just say don't get paralyzed. But, like, what I, I think what I'm really saying is, like, na- make sure you narrate your turn and just dot your I's and cross your T's when you do the thing, right? If you have a battle, remove the warriors, score the points, then do the next thing. And this is where having a notebook, writing down the steps in advance, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously for an in-person tournament... I think bringing a notebook might be a little weird. That might be know? weird. Yeah. You know, I think that you, but you know, I'm not, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm going to, no, no, I'm not going to notebook shame. You can bring a notebook. Bring you think it. so? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I would, I probably won't. And like, I don't think most players will, but like some players like to do that. I will say in an in-person game, more so obviously than an online, it's very different because the physical nature of the head down possibilities of you not only like getting lost in your own notes but also your own board and there's three other players there's x other players that are interacting when you're not so don't get tunnel visioned by that Mm -hmm. and there's a big difference right between playing online and and playing over the board in person route huge huge difference huge difference we kind of didn't we kind of glossed over it but like table talk is the biggest part of this we've talked about table talk in three episodes now but it's a wildly different thing for you to do table talk on digital where you just have a few sentences that you can do in a log that moves that people might yeah. not scroll up and even see. It's different to do it in tabletop simulator where you're over Discord, but you don't see these people. They're generally strangers and uh, only one of you can efficiently talk at one time. And then it's wildly different when you're in person because interpersonal dynamics <laughs> yeah. with both strangers and just people you know you know honestly some part of the anonymity of tabletop simulator allows you to be like hey y'all we're just trying to figure this game out right like it it it, it abstracts it, it removes something that i feel i used to think that in person would be the most like efficient communication but i actually think there's m- too much information about like seeing the other people maybe it's just like practice and it could just be that the experience is higher in the winter tournament but when i'm playing in person it feels harder to convince someone to do something i want them to do just because like when i'm when i'm doing it over discord i can use logical arguments we're all looking at these like abstract things we need to move these things there whereas like in person it it automatically feels like i have an angle i don't know why um what are you? There's more information. There's body language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so know. funny. Even like a very kind of objective game like chess features some like it's like boxing a little bit. There's like body language involved. You can see a player, um, you know, change their 
posture after a move and that will give you information about how confident they feel that's and so it might let you know that you're actually winning the game now see i love it, this because there's no table talk in chess but there's still a table interaction right <laughs> yeah and you'll see this is a kind of a big moment sometimes if you if you watch um streams of like over the board games of chess you'll see there's moments when players who are just have been staring at the board for like four hours will like glance up <laughs> at the eyes of their opponent for just like half a second and everyone who's like commentating in the room is just like oh my god oh my god like he just looked at him you know <laughs> it's like so funny well body language and, and honestly your poker face is a, a real thing you gotta keep in mind yeah, yeah. you don't have to be the corvids to be bluffing in room oh for no. sure oh i i mean we always joke around like i choose not to play an ambush but i do pick up my cards every time it's like I always like to go like, oh, you're battling me in this clearing, rabbit clearing, pick up the cards. So that's what you're doing. Okay. You know, <laughs> like just like making sure I have all of uh, I, I'm giving them any opportunity they want to not attack me. <laughs> but keep the game moving, right, Sam? You, well, you got to keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. But you put on a whole one act play every time you get ambushed. Uh <laughs> Well, if you want to practice your poker face, go play some bluffing games, too, and go do it in person. Like, you got to get that's a skill that you need to learn a little bit. Not that you should be lying all the time. And generally in Root, you don't necessarily deceive that often, but you do have to shade a lot. And so uh, not showing what you're thinking about in your face is kind of an important skill to have. I love bluffing and deception games. And I have a pretty bad poker face. (laughs) I wear my sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, that's a great one. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. There is a major factor that gets brought up every time a player plays a game of the winter tournament that is just never a thing with an over the board game. And that's chat. Yeah. Oh, the audience, you mean? There's an audience. And it's not just that they are uh, live watching the game and you can't hear them or see them when you're playing, but you're aware that they exist. It's the fact that these games are saved online for eternity. And people can go back and review. You can go back and look at the chat logs. Like, there's just a a weird kind of meta awareness that comes with there being an audience, I think. Well, an an audience that can, like, contribute. (laughs) Contribute to a written log of uh, feedback, you know? And And the people that tend to watch those games tend to know the games and tend to have things to say about what you just did. (laughs) So there is all that pressure and they're not very shy about it. Additionally, they tend to ask questions about why you might've done that thing and you can't respond. You're not there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, there is like this, this sense of judgment that comes with it. Um, And it can be inhibiting to be overly concerned with like what chat's going to say if you make this or this move, or if you make a mistake with like the badgers or whatever, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think, it it's so difficult to kind of remove that consideration from your mind um but it's valuable i think to kind of let chat be chat and just play your game you know yes really who you care about is the other players at the table Uh, those are the most important opinions to be caring about the the other thing with chat that i think is kind of interesting too is that uh, I read this great article about the the television reality competition show Survivor. Ooh, <laughs> um, heard of it. Where th- uh, they have this thing called Tribal Council, where players will vote one player out of the game each time they are all at Tribal. But when they're at Tribal, it starts with a bunch of table talk, mm-hmm. right? Players give their impressions of the game, about each other, about their own position, what their concerns are. And then at the end, they all go and vote. 
And so you're really trying to feel out like where players are at in that moment. And I think for considering what the best play is at a tribal council, you don't want to be thinking about the future audience of Survivor. <laughs> right. You don't want to become interesting TV. You don't have to do that. Right. And I think that's one thing with Root that hasn't been discussed really is like, you don't have to be interesting television. Right. On, on Root. Like, maybe because we have like theater backgrounds, we were overly concerned with like being entertaining or whatever. <laughs> we, but like, we, we do care about that. Yeah. You really don't have to be. You can actually just take the time to think and have silence be a thing and not be worried about being entertaining. You know, if it's yeah. going to impact your game, if you're rushing, if you're trying to be glib and forget to do something, um, it's just you don't have to put that pressure on yourself. Don't be good TV. Yeah. Let the game be the game. You know, yeah. let it tell the story. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to go for mouse dominance for the memes, you know, <laughs> Kyle. Unless you think it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, it was close. It was close. Um, well, this I is just... a note for me for personally for playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say uh, a quick welcome to Woodland War Machine. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Sam. Uh, and <laughs> I would like... <laughs> I'd like to also issue this week's challenge here. Hey, at the a end. challenge! I noticed we haven't had those in a while. I know, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, it's Bonsai's running away with it. So <laughs> basically, it's never over, I'm, guys. I'm making Bonsai do this. Uh, this week's challenge <laughs> is: I want to see somebody with a glass that is two thirds water, one third chocolate milk. That's what I'm asking <laughs> oh, for. The first no. person to upload a picture <sighs> of that, and I want some kind of proof. That you didn't just Google this, okay? I'm gonna reverse image search this. Oh no, actually, maybe maybe write on a piece of paper your Discord handle name and put it next. Oh, to that's the a glass. great idea. Yes, yes, that's way better because then I don't have to do anything. Yeah, great, great job, Jake. <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> okay, okay, great. And tune into the Winter Game tournaments over on Garrick Samples Games at Twitch.tv. And uh, if you see some great tournament play and want to discuss it. Come over to the Woodland War Machine channel in the Good Time Society Discord, uh, and let's talk about it, because I think that playing tournament games is going to be even more important in the future, um, especially with RootCon and the subsequent sequels of RootCon on the horizon. I I just am so interested in how people approach it, and I know there's even more to think about than what we've been able to cover today. So come join the discussion. I want to hear about your strategies for staving off late game fuzzy brain. Let's make it happen, guys. Yeah. If you're feeling particularly nervous in a game and you're at RootCon too, um, one escape strategy, because everyone will know what to do, is to just start chanting. Do you think that, like the wave in a stadium baseball game, we can get that to be an easy, adaptable thing for people to do? Because if one corner someone starts chanting root, will the whole room just start <laughs> chanting root?
Yeah. Oh, I, a thousand percent that's going to happen. It's the thing I'm looking forward to the most is everyone chanting. <laughs> I'm so excited, honestly, for that. That's going to be so fun. <laughs> Why hasn't there been a good Survivor board game? I've thought about it on like the physical uh, challenges. So many walks with Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you could do like a little dumb dexterity things too. Oh, that's fun. Dexterity is a good idea. There's building a, like a balanced. Yeah. The true reason is uh, board games hate player elimination. Yes. And Survivor is player elimination the game. Yes. But, the, yeah. but Survivor changed that by having them come back and be on the council, didn't they? As the jury, right? Right. Yes. So my thought was like a Survivor board game would have to be like, as soon as you're voted out, you become like an obstacle in the challenge. Yes. You know? Yes. If it's like I have to throw a ball into a cup, then somebody's like on their knees, like trying to swat the ball <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Um, it's like humans versus zombies, you know? It's like you turn into a hindrance, and then all the yeah. survivors are like, <laughs> yeah, increasingly difficult. Okay, That's new so theme. Funny. I like it. I like it. Uh, so, a couple board games that I think are the closest to Survivor. One is called Dead Last. Mm-hmm. Dead Last. Have you played is this an game? Interesting Jake? one. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So, everyone has a color, Kyle, uh, and everyone has a handful of everybody's colors, and except for your own color in your hand is an ambush. Okay. And you all start like, showing each other cards being like this is this is who i'm voting for to be eliminated okay and you're just like looking at people's cards and be like okay i guess i trust you for that and then everyone puts in a card one two three flip and if you vote for like if the majority is the red player then all the people who voted for the red player are the only people who are in everyone else is eliminated if you don't vote correctly okay okay yeah, you got to be on the right side of the vote right however if the red player suspects that the votes are on them and plays their red ambush then they win oh and there's like a pile of loot like cash and gun style that you're like trying to uh, like get mm-hmm. you're trying okay. to be the last person so i think that one's close because the rounds are so snappy that the voting out doesn't feel bad um and then blood on the clock tower is the yeah. one that is definitely the closest yeah okay noted i'll uh i mean because i remember there being a couple of card games from like or uh, board games from like the 2000s, but they're like weird and crappy and not good. But they should, honestly, Sam, you should just fight for the license. Go I to, mean, yeah. Go to CBS, go get, get a meeting. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. 